Welcome to today's episode of Fire in the Belly. This is where we get to hear some pretty inspiring stories from some amazing people. You know, it's always an absolute pleasure to sit down, take time out, and have a warts and all conversation about their journey. I'm always intrigued by what it's taken for people to get to where they are today. And hopefully, in this interview, we get to hear some more about that. From this, my mission is to help people to find their own fire in their belly, and from that, to live the mightiest version of you. So without further ado, sit back, relax, and enjoy today's guest. Success is a process, not an event. Hello, and welcome to Fire in the Belly. We're here today, myself, Mighty Pete, and we're joined by the Brandon Tracy. Good afternoon to you, sir. Good afternoon, Pete. I'm happy to be here, man. Listen, it's fantastic to have you on, so welcome to the show. So first of all, Brandon, tell us, where are you, where are you dialing in from today? Uh, I'm dialing in from Phoenix, Arizona. I am. Uh, I'm, I'm usually back and forth between the the city in Phoenix and the mountains of Montana. So I'm coming at you today from the desert in Phoenix, Arizona. Give us a heads up. What sort of temperatures are we talking? You know, it's actually pretty good now. We are having a hot day. It's 85. You know, it's October right now. So I left the uh, cool fall crisp air of of Montana for Phoenix this time of year, which is you know, a little bit of a shock, but I like to just say that I'm chasing summer all the time. I'm, I'm chasing that 70 degree weather all year. I'm, I'm, I'm working on making that happen. Listen, this is all foreign to us. When you're from Ireland, it's like, you know, 50 shades of rain. So it's like, yeah, this is <laughs> that's right. <laughs> In fact, I'm one of those things when it gets too hot, we're also running for the shade. So yeah, that's no, all cool. But listen, <laughs> give everyone a bit of a background. I suppose Brandon, you know, Brandon is basically a co-founder of the, the BTG Real Estate and the Authentic Agent and host of the Authentic Agent podcast. So it's always great to have a fellow podcaster on the show. Um, as a leader of a multi-million dollar uh, producing real estate team and national speaker and trainer, Brandon has worked with thousands of real estate agents across the United States on real estate, business development, and strategies to increase their performance and build professional trust by taking consistent strategic action. Awesome. What a, I love that. That's a you're a doer, right? I'm, I'm really getting this sense. You're a man that just rolls the sleeves up and gets it done. Is that a fair summary? Yeah, you know, I find I find a lot of solace in the action of life, um, to be honest with you. That, that's where I feel most comfortable. As a leader, we can be taught so often to delegate a lot. And although I do, um, anybody who's building a business or any entrepreneurs know, knows how important leverage and, and delegation can be. But yeah, I've always felt really comfortable in the action, you know, and, and you know, it, it just helps me to be doing. It makes me feel like I'm contributing and moving my life forward. So I've always found, found a lot of comfort in it. Never, never shied away from the work. You actually, does it, do you find it sort of almost like, Almost like masterminding, you get ideas when you're you know, when you're stuck or you're involved in the process and actually physically doing it. Do you find it almost inspiring to be to be involved in the doing part? Yeah, I mean, there's there's so much that comes from the experience of doing itself, right? I mean, it, I love I love to wrap spirituality into into the actionable parts of business, but you know, it's like try to explain somebody what an orange tastes like. You know, we we can intellectualize that and we can use all the words in the English language and every other language to try to describe what that what that orange tastes like. But you really don't know what it tastes like until you taste it. Um, so I like to get in there and and do a lot of that stuff and, and learn. And I think that's probably my favorite thing about just growth in general is you're always being challenged to learn new things and participate in those new things and learn from the failures and 
um, and then evaluate and continue to push forward in new and better ways. So it's, you know, I, I love it. I think, I think business in general is an, is an incredible conduit for personal and professional growth side by side as, as that happens. Well, where, where do you set them, Brandon? I mean, would you be more solving problems or coming up with new ideas? Where, where, where's your sort of natural flow state? Uh, well, I, I definitely love vision casting as anybody who, who has worked with me would tell you, it's just, I'm, I'm constantly at 30,000 foot, you know, pushing the issue, pushing the progress and, and just dreaming up, you know, where our organizations or, or where some of our businesses can go next. And, um, so I definitely enjoy that part. I enjoy the, the leadership aspects of, of, you know, helping people, you know, overcome their own perceived limitations and, and figure out what, you know, what inside of them is, is keeping them from, you know, making the, the forward progress that they want in, in their lives. So I get a lot out of that. Um, but at the same time, you know, I, I'm the kind of guy that will go out in my garage too, and, and get the, get the saw out and get the wood and, and get to making something. It's just, I, I find joy in pretty much all of the, the parts of business and life. It's just, um, I probably at this point in my career, spend a lot more time in leadership and vision casting than anything else. I mean, listen, vision casting. I mean, that's a new term for me. I mean, is that is blue sky thinking, vision boarding? Where's no? Seven? Well, maybe. I guess it just really depends on who's using the word and and what the context is. For you know, for me, it's always really just challenging myself to figure out what's next for us and what's next for our businesses. Um, and and really, you know, not being afraid to try new things. I think we're we're kind of always pushing the limits and and trying to figure things out. But when I vision cast, I usually vision cast under a framework um, for my company, and and I really am focused on three questions that I ask myself. You know, I'll come up with a great idea. We all have lots of great ideas, right? So a few of them actually push through to uh, execution. But I always just ask myself, like, can I explain to everybody what I'm doing? Number one. Number two, why I'm doing it. And number three, what's in it for them, right? What's in it for us? What's in it for you? Um, so when I'm vision casting, I usually am trying to really stick to that framework so everybody can have a clear understanding of, of what we're doing, why we're doing it, and what's in it for them. So we can, you know, rally the key people in any organization and 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 create some clarity in, in what we're trying to accomplish and, and get them passionate about, you know, helping me or the organization do so. That's super interesting. I mean, so is that service oriented? You know, when you're trying to find out what's in it for them, that you know, is that for ease of engagement, ease for you know, finding out exactly what's what's going to appeal to the person, or what what led you to ask that question quite specifically? Well, I'm in I'm in the real estate industry, so you know, although I do have W two employees, a lot of the people that I lead in my organization are independent contractors, um, and you lead those two people very differently, I think. Um, and quite frankly, the majority of people who work in our organization are all independent licensed real estate agents that, you know, basically vote to be here at our business every single day. There's nothing holding them here. They're, they're very transient. They can go anywhere at any time. Um, so a lot of, you know, a lot of what we do as an organization or, or how I lead as an individual is acknowledging that, you know, in a lot of ways they work for my organization, but I work for them. Um, and I have to create a environment that, you know, ties in all of the, you know, the technology and the leverage and the key components um, that they need to run their business. But I also have to cultivate 
um, you know, a very purposeful culture and community within here that they feel proud of and that they want to, that they want to continue to be a part of, you know, long into the future. And you usually don't just get stuck on one thing, um, with that you're, you have to be evolving because people evolve, people grow, the industry evolves and grows as well. So you can't ever just sit in one place. So it's, it's, that's the funnest part of my job is just accepting the challenge of, you know, where are we going and how are we going to get there? And when we get there, what's in it for all these people that work for me? How, how are you with status quo when things get a bit too normal? Are you the kid who needs to shake it up a bit and change things about a little? Um, I don't, I don't know if I shake it up. <laughs> I, you know, I'm sure there's a few people in my organization that would probably laugh as they hear me say that, but, um, uh, you know, I think s- status quo makes me uncomfortable. I, I start to feel vulnerable when we've just kind of been, you know, sitting in one place for too long. And, and I'm sure there's a multitude of reasons for why I feel that way, but, you know, I, I feel like when we're, I feel best when we're growing, when we're learning when we're taking on challenges, even when we're failing, because we're offered opportunities to evaluate um, and reorganize and continue to push forward. So I like being in that process because it feels like movement. It feels like progress to me. Um, and, and I'm most comfortable in there. You know, Barbara Cochran said this one time, it's just, you know, business or money or life or it, in general, um, it's like blood in the body. It, it's constantly needs to be moving and pumping to, to support life, right? And the moment it stops, it has a tendency to pool and we know what happens after that. So I I feel most comfortable when we're, you know, when when we're really in that process and creating momentum and movement. And, and what what satisfies you? Boy, you know, I would answer that question in so many different ways throughout my career. Um, but right now, what satisfies me is, you know, I run an organization like we just talked about that people could pick up and leave and go to another organization tomorrow. It's really easy for them to do that. So what satisfies me is to be able to see that, you know, we're making a difference in the people that actually work for us. Because quite frankly, in the real estate industry, there's so many options, right? I mean, it, it, and, and, it, and it can be very difficult for brokerages and teams as they get caught up in this because there's really only so many systems and strategies and leverage points and leads and communities and cultures. There's only so much of that stuff um, to go around before you really realize as an individual that what could potentially be holding you back is you. Um, so we, we focus on that more holistic aspect of growing your business and taking personal responsibility for, you know, your own intention and, and what you bring to the table and what you do to advance your life and career. So we have a lot of those conversations. Um, I'm very open and vulnerable about those conversations with myself and sharing my journey um, in hopes to inspire them to do the same. Um, but it's, it's nerve wracking right? It, it's nerve wracking because you're, you're introducing a, a philosophy or, or a belief system. It's, it, it, it's not, it, what is it? it? I mean, it's secular and that everybody has a seat at the table, but you know, you're, you're also being willing to talk about very vulnerable things, very raw and honest things about ourselves and what holds us back. That I love. Um, I love curating a culture in our business that supports that. Because ultimately, what holds people back is is deep inside themselves. It, it really isn't external. We we like to we like to believe that it is because then we don't have to take a lot of personal responsibility for creating our own results. But when you can really help somebody see that 
the parts of themselves that are holding them back, meet them where they are and help them find a path forward, not just a path forward emotionally, but attaching that path forward to results in their life and their business and being able to have an impact on, on an individual's, you know, financial well-being, um, not just now, but for long into the future for themselves and their family. That's that's incredible, incredibly rewarding. Um, and every once in a while, I'll just sit back and that'll hit me. You know, I'll be sitting in the mountains of Montana and I get a text message from one of our people, or I'll think about somebody in our organization that I'm just so proud of. And it'll just hit me deep and be like, what an honor it is to just get to participate in that part of their life as well. Um, so I guess that's a real long-winded answer for, for your question, but, um, it's extremely rewarding. How many people get it? Cause I mean, I, Listen, you know, you mm. understand this. And when you, you talk about you know, the mindset, it's not because I'm sure, as you say, there's only so many strategies you can do, right, in different combinations, and that's fine. But it is realizing that actually, you know, it's, it lies within, not without. Um, do people get it? Gosh, that's such a that's such a big question, right? Like the answer to that, the, the most direct answer to that is sure, people get it. Um, no, most people don't. Um, and, and that's hard. It's, it's really hard to run an organization where you're really trying to help people, but they, you, you, you have a tendency to want it more for them than they want it for themselves. We don't have a lot of that now in our organization, but over the years, um, before we really understood how to attract like-minded individuals, um, we did have a tendency to get a lot of people in that, that, you know, maybe just couldn't take personal responsibility and, and we're always looking for someone else, some external thing to, to give that responsibility to. So it's hard. Um, you know, Pete, I do think though, that we're going through a bit of an awakening. I have never had as many conversations as I have um, in the last even six or eight months about just consciousness or, or personal responsibility or what intention means or, or, you know, key interpersonal skills. Like people are really starting to wake up to how powerful they are. They, they really are. And I still think it's, it's a minority, at least from what I see, but they're waking up and that's exciting, man. I mean, I don't know how you feel about it, but that excites me when I start to have those conversations with people entering our organization and just being like, okay, here we go. Like we can work with this. Do you think, do you think your sphere is changing, you know, and, and this sort of vortex that actually maybe your journey is moving on, which is attracting like-minded or do you think it is the population in general? Oh, I think it's probably both. I think that let's start with the population because the accessibility to this conversation has never been more easy than it is now, whether it's through podcasts or through books, we have so many, so many incredible books that are, you know, on top selling lists. Um, you know, we have, you know, Oprah pushing people like Eckhart Tolle. We have Michael Singer. We've got, you know, more people than ever reading the Bhagavad Gita and the Tao Te Ching. And it's just like, I think there's a general curiosity now in the population um, that, you know, listen, it, it's going to lead to something, right? Like when people are, are curious and participating in the conversation at the level they are, I, I think that it's definitely going to lead to a, a broader acceptance of, of the conversation. But um, you're also right. Yeah. I mean, as I grow and as I have more of these conversations and get deeper into this myself, I do have a tendency to gravitate towards other people that are on that same journey. And that, that absolutely does change my sphere of influence to a certain degree. 
But what I see is the, the people who are already in my life taking a great interest as I share. Um, and I share strategically and systematically this, this kind of conversation through our business and, and in my life. And I think what happens is people start to raise their hand and say, hey, tell me more about this. Um, so, you know, I think, I think both things are happening simultaneously. And it, I think it's, it's fascinating. Which, which comes first for you now? Is it the, is it the connection? And you mentioned spirituality there, but is it the connection, the, the mindset or is the real estate business? I mean, do you see one potentially one's a niche for the other or a tool for the other, but you know, do you think it's, it's almost an even spread or do you think one will become more powerful than the other, but the the niche is the the market that you understand the best? I guess it probably, you know, really depends on, on the individual mindset. For me, I think that business is an incredible conduit for personal and spiritual growth. Um, I say this to our organization all the time. I'm a big believer that our businesses will grow in direct proportion to how much we grow as people. Um, so I'm not entirely sure which one comes first, but I do know that as an entrepreneur, we face a lot of challenges that, you know, a regular corporate worker may not face. Um, in that we accept so much responsibility for so many things, including fear and anxiety and rejection and reluctancy to, you know, to put ourselves out there in a way that you just don't have to in the corporate world. Um, and I think that in order for us to really, you know, overcome those fears and anxieties and, and you know, you know, make our relationship with rejection a little bit better and overcome our reluctancies to, you know, do the things in our business that make us really uncomfortable. Um, I think that's where the spiritual conversation comes in. That's where we get really, you know, aware of how we're feeling and and why we're feeling that way and, and really just getting down there and doing some of that inner work so that we can release some of those things. So we can get rid of some of those fears and reluctancies so that we can move forward, be the best versions of ourselves, you know, build a, build a business that, you know, that feels good to us, that feels authentic to us. Um, we're not going to do those free of fear or, or free of free of discomfort, right? We have to go through those things, and to get through those things with grace, I think takes a little bit of of inner work. Do you enjoy that contrast? That sort of almost the you know here's what here's the pain, here's where I've come from, and then vice versa. That gives me the motivation to never go back. Or this is the reason why we work harder, faster, better systemized tools, whatever, right? Is, is that something that, that brings fuel to your life? Um, well, I think I just, I think the idea of just stepping off the wheel of suffering is what fuels me. Um, you know, I, I spent so much of my life living, you know, somewhat unconsciously in the emotions and the reaction, just operating, flowing through life, you know, from for lack of a better term, the lower self, right? You know, as life, you know, unfolded for me, I would react and and that's how I would, you know, just handle life. But now, now I really have just, I've really come to terms with the idea that I, I can just sit back behind those emotions, um, you know, sit back into a place of calmness and clarity and confidence, and then, you know, bring that to the decisions and the actions that I take in business and in life every day. Um, and not get caught up in all of the frustration and the worry about what could happen and the anxiety that comes along with those things, but just to sit back in that and enjoy the process. I love that the saying one of my mentors and coach says all the time, so spirituality isn't changing what you do, it's changing the part of you that does it. And we talk about this a lot in our business. You may not change 
a lot of the action items that you need to take in business to succeed every day. That, that might not change, but the part of you that does those things will change. Maybe you're no longer doing those things from fear and anxiety and, and you're, you're terrified of being rejected and you're reluctant to take action. Now you're bringing just a calmer, clearer, more confident person to that, to that item, that action item. And, and that's the part of you that's doing it. And when you're doing that, you're doing it from so much more of an authentic place that the results have a tendency to 10x because of the place that you're doing it from. Um, and that's really, to me, just what I've, what, what business gives me, what those challenges give me is an opportunity to really live that part. And every time I do it, I realize like, man, I, I wasted so much of my life taking action from a place of scarcity that I didn't have to. It wouldn't have changed whether or not I was going to take action. I just did it from a place that caused me so much suffering. Why did I do that? So now I get to see it so much more clearly, and that just makes it all more fun. The challenges, the failures, the you know, all of it, the ultimate successes, it's so much more fun to do it from this place. Is that almost like an ethos for you now? It has to, it has to connect to you, whatever you do, or you know, there has to be passion, it has to be something you believe in, you know, or are you are you happy to go strategic and say, well, this is just what the business needs? It may not be for me, but I'll yeah. do what I have to do. No, I'm I'm absolutely happy to go strategic when it when it's uh, when it's necessary because you know ultimately you know as much of a fantastic conduit for spirituality that business can be, um, we're still running businesses, right? And we still have P and Ls to review, and we still have to criticize the money that we spend in the business and make sure that it's it's you know creating and producing the results that we intend for it to do. Because ultimately, if we fail at the business part, if we if we fail at the numbers part in business, then we don't have this incredible platform to bring all of the other wonderful things to the table. And we talk about this a lot in our organization at BTG Real Estate. It's just like, listen, we're going to honor the bottom line of this business so that we can protect all of the other cultural and community things that that we bring to the table that that impact us all at you know at another level. So, you know, I, I think you have to be a business person when the time calls for it and you have to make those tough decisions, but it's why you're making them. It's what you're making them for that, that I think can change a bit. I mean, what, what does fire in the belly mean to you, Brandon? Boy, um, I mean, the first word that comes to mind is passion, right? But I think passion, like authenticity or, or many other words, I think sometimes people hear them and roll their eyes and be like, oh, here we go again with, with this conversation. But um you know, ultimately, to me, having a fire in the belly is what gets you through the harder things, right? It's what gets you through the challenges. It's it's stepping up to the starting line going, okay, it's definitely not going to be a clear path. I'm going to take on some challenges, but man, I want this. You know, I want this for myself. I want this for my family. I want this for my future. I want this for my family's future. And, and, I'm, and I'm willing to do it, right? I'm willing to show up on, on this line and I'm willing to take action even when it's super uncomfortable because I've got that passion. I've got that fire in the belly. Like I'm ready. I'm ready to take control of my own life. Is it something you have now? Is it something you've always had or when does it kick in for you? That's a good question. I mean, I think I've always been, I've always had a, a fire in the belly from a competitive nature. You know, as a young, as a young man, I played sports, basketball, football, baseball, I ran track. I was very busy athlete um, when I was young. And I always had that desire to improve. 
um, that desire to impact my teammates in a positive way. I was always, I mean, it was always there, but to be honest with you, once, you know, once that went away after, you know, my first couple of years in college and, you know, life started to, to change for me, I really struggled to find that in the world again. Um, and I probably floundered around for a good five or seven or, or 10 years, even, um, really trying to discover whether or not those old flames could translate to the, to the world I was living in now, which was not an athlete's world. Right. It was, it was, you know, just a young man trying to find his way, um, trying to find a way to make a living. Um, and I lost it for a while. So it was really amazing when I came back and found my stride in business and found a, a community and a team to plug into that. I realized like, there it is like there, there it is. And then it just was, all right, am I going to let this out? Can I let this out in this environment? And, and can I use this to fuel my life and business? And thankfully the answer was, was absolutely. What does bring out the best in you then? I mean, that, that sort of, you know, what sort of caused that change? You know, are you clear? Was it a moment? Was it a, you know, a, a pinnacle or a point that actually sort of flipped it and said, now's the time? Yeah, I think there was a couple in my life. Um, the first one being uh, in 2004, I was diagnosed with a brain tumor. Um, and, you know, I was a young, young man at that time. And I was doing athletic training uh, here in the Valley for, for athletes. And I was still very much a, a healthy athlete myself. And I just felt like, gosh, how could, how could this be something that happens to me? Right. I'm 24 years old. And, you know, all of a sudden I've, I've got this golf ball sized brain tumor behind my left eye and, you know, I'm being rushed to the emergency room and one hospital and then being rushed to Barrow Neurological Institute for emergency brain surgery. And then I'm being pulled out of emergency brain surgery because it's too dangerous. And, you know, then we're, then we're into a whole mapping system of, you know, how to figure that out. And I, in a moment, I went from just this very, very egoic young man to, I mean, about as much vulnerability as you could possibly imagine, just not knowing like, you know, wow, well, what's going to happen to me? I was, I was in shock. Um, and it was scary. It was probably more scary for my family because, you know, you go from, you know, what you think to be is just, you know, at the pinnacle of health to, to the pendulum swinging completely to the other side. And, and you're, you know, you're hearing a doctor tell your family, it's like, Hey, we're not exactly sure how this is going to play out, but, um, right now we got to take it, you know, minute by minute and figure it out. And that was tough. That was a, that was a tough moment. How did that come about? I mean, that, that's a that's a pretty that's a pretty significant thing to sort of stumble across. You say if you've gone from being quite athletic and driven, and you know, mm. as you say, ego there, it's there's a lot of testosterone, a lot of you know, getting out there yeah. to, to be knocked down like that. That's huge. Yeah, it was it was interesting. I think it was for the first time in my life, you know, I really really um, maybe just accepted how vulnerable we all really are, um, and you know, I had just been experiencing a lot of headaches and, and, you know, some challenges with my vision. And of course, as a young man, I'm like, oh, there's nothing wrong with me. I still feel great. You know, I'm going, you know, outside of these massive headaches and vision, right. Cause that's how you justify things when you're, when you're that old and you're like, well, I'm fine otherwise. So it must be, must be okay. Uh, but ultimately I, you know, after dealing with that for a couple of weeks and not seeing anybody, I ended up passing out on my bathroom floor, you know, 5.00 AM one morning, getting ready for work. And, my girlfriend at the time and my roommate, uh, 
you know, got me into the car and rushed me to the emergency room. And, you know, I went from, you know, one of those regular emergency room people that they assume are just, you know, screaming migraine to get some drugs. I guess that's a, that was a thing. Um, so they didn't treat me too well when I first got there, but after that MRI, all of a sudden I just felt the body language change the pitch of the voice changed in the doctors and the, and the nurses, I could see the concern in their face. And it was that moment. I just, even now just saying it out loud, I just feel that pit in my stomach open up and you just, you just know everything changed in the moment, right? Like you're not worried about your, your work that day. You're not wor worried about your homework. You got to get done. You're, you're literally not worried. That's here's an interesting part about this. You're scared, you're terrified, and you're vulnerable to that moment, but nothing else matters. All of the worries and fears and anxieties you had about the world just even 10 minutes ago, gone. Like every one of them were just gone. And for as scary as it was, it was also extremely, extremely clarifying about what, what matters and what doesn't. And in that moment, the only thing that really mattered was life. And the only things that were going through my head were my family everything else just peeled away. And I think that moment kind of taught me something that I could get really caught up in all these fears and anxieties and worries and all the things I was supposed to accomplish and all the people's, you know, all the perceived judgments of the world. But in the end, we could, we could just be gone tomorrow. What does any of it matter? It's like a massive perspective magnifying glass, isn't it? Sort of going, <laughs> yeah, that sort of really important work meeting. Mm, it's not that important, right? Not really yeah. important at all. Yeah. Yeah. There's so much stuff, right? I mean, it's almost because, you know, a number of people that talk about either near-death experiences or spiritual experience or anything else in, the, in that split second, whatever else it is, it's it just clears the clears the canvas, clears the board and says, do you know what? All bets are off. What used yeah. to be important no longer is. That's, that's, a, that's a massive shift. Yeah. I didn't know it at the time because um, I was still young. And I think what I was doing is I was, I was very much experiencing those moments from the emotions themselves. Um, so, you know, I was definitely feeling fear. I was, I was definitely feeling um, vulnerable, um, but I was learning that I was actually able, able to let go of all those other things because the world didn't stop just because I was in that situation, but I was actually able to let go of all of it. And, and just be in that moment. And, you know, I think about that from a spirituality point now, whenever I'm feeling stressed or anxious or fearful or unsure or uncertain, or I lack confidence, I'm actually able to just let go of that and just sit behind it and realize like how many times you've been in this position throughout your life, how many times all of us have, but when we're in it, it feels like this is the only time. Like this is, well, this one's bigger than the last one. I'm for sure. This is like, I, I definitely should be in it this time, but we don't have to, we can, we can sit back behind that. And as the Buddha would say, just step off the wheel of suffering for a moment and just take a deep breath and realize, okay, I'm going to take action. I'm going to, I'm going to take action forward and I'm going to do it from a place of calmness, clarity and confidence. And, and that's, that's in my control. I, I can do that. How, how did you change before and after? Was it everything? Well, I don't think it was everything, but it definitely was a bookmark moment in my life, right? Where there was a before this moment and a clear after this moment. Um, 
but I, I, you know, I definitely changed. This was 2004. I got a lot more ambitious. I didn't know what to do with the spiritual energy at all um, because I, I had never really had, you know, much in the way of education around spirituality. So I didn't really understand what I was going through spiritually. But what I did know is what I was going through with my motivation around life. I, I understood that, you know, man, I I want more out of life. I want more out of life than the current path that I'm on will give me. And I started to accept responsibility that I might have to get out there and challenge myself and take some risks and learn some new things. And that I'm, you know, that that kind of spurred me to the next moment of my life, which was real estate. And, you know, I got into real estate, not, not in sales, but I started to do some investing. I started to do some flipping of some homes. <laughs> I mean, I bought my first house on a credit card, fixed it up on a credit card and then sold it, um, you know, for twice that I put on the credit cards and went, oh my gosh, I'm a genius. I, I mean, I'm a, I am a genius, Pete. <laughs> How could it be this easy? It has to be because I'm a genius and I'm special. Um, and I did that a few more times and, and, you know, started to accumulate a great deal of overinflated confidence, um, parlayed that into buying some property and building some spec homes, one of which I built myself. Um, and at the height of that moment, when my biggest project was nearing its completion, uh, the market crashed and I was left without anything. I mean, I lost all of it everything. I lost every property that I had either to a quick sale, a short sale, a couple even to foreclosure. Um, I lost all the money I had because I was way, you know, way too overly leveraged in a market that had no equity. And uh, it was just such a shock again to my young egoic mind that this could happen to me because I was taught, you know, I was telling myself a story about how great I was. Right. It couldn't it couldn't possibly be that we were just in this crazy bubble. Right. It had to be because I was clearly amazing, making all the right moves, um, because that's that's what we we can do sometimes when we get caught up in our ego is we just start buying our own hype. And um, so I took that moment pretty hard. I uh, I felt very shameful, very, very shameful. Um, and I carried an immense amount of guilt around that, not just because of the situation for what it was, but because, you know, I had family that, you know, got involved with me. And I know now, as I look back over it, that that was common. Um, but at the, at the time, it just felt like I made really bad decisions and, and I impacted the people around me very negatively. Um, and man, the, just the weight of shame and guilt just darkened my soul. It was, it was heavy. And I realized I wasn't alone going through that. Um, but at the time, that's what it felt like. It just felt like I, I, I just did a, I did a lot of wrong. That's what it felt like. So when I said after the uh, brain tumor, I knew what to do with my motivational energy and had no idea what to do with my spiritual energy. Um, I think it was this moment that collapsed me down to a place where, you know, I no longer have home or a couple of homes. I no longer have multiple cars. I no longer have all of those things. I'm, I'm now, you know, couch surfing houseless, you know, spent a lot of time on my buddy's floor. Um, just trying to figure out life with, with no income, no prospects, um, and a great deal of shame and guilt. 
Um, and it was that moment someone turned me on to just reading a little bit about my own thoughts. What what what's my ego saying? What's that chatter in my what's that chatter in my left brain? Um, and then once I realized that that voice in my head, I think that was the first point in my entire life that I realized that that voice in my head was actually not me, that I could separate from it, that I could separate from operating in the emotion, um, that I could pick myself up and start taking action and that I didn't have to kind of live in that dark shame and guilt anymore. So I think that was when I finally figured out what to do with my spirituality. I could read about it. I could learn about it. I could figure out how does this, you know, how does this impact my well-being? That's huge, isn't it? To realize that voice is not necessarily your voice and it's not necessarily always going to do the best thing for you. You know, it's uh, it's a different voice. It's, I mean, do you see is, is the voice, of the, I mean, you talked about ego. Do you see it as the voice of the ego, the voice of the mind? What, what way would you define it? Yeah, I like to, you know, for the sake of keeping it simple for myself, I like to just refer to it as as my my egoic mind, right? My left brain chatter. Um, and just to remember, you know, just to remember and remind myself that those thoughts are not me. That's, that's the ego and the fear and the scarcity and the storytelling and, you know, the fear of the past, the anxiety of the future, all that kind of stuff. It's just an, it's a narration of life that is it just because you can hear it in there doesn't make, doesn't make it true. Right. And once I realized I could separate from that, that I could sit behind that, that I could witness that voice and that I could just let it go. Um, I started to kind of maybe figure out who I was a little bit. Define for me, if you would, what spirituality means to you now. I mean, what's, how can you sort of explain or, because some people was, some people, just different people have different definitions, right? So if, if you'd be kind enough to sort of tell us what, what it means for you. Yeah, sure. Um, you know, in the most simplest terms, I think that I define it as, you know, not just it. I think the easiest way for me to define it right now is that spirituality is being aware that you're aware. And I know that that's kind of a, a brain teaser to a certain degree, but really that's what it means to me right now is, is how aware I am that I'm aware of what's happening outside, inside, I can sit in there and I can see now the connection between me and, and everybody else, you know, and that I, I'm very aware of what's happening. I'm very aware when I respond from emotion, I I'm aware of it right away. Right. I'm aware that I don't have to do that. Um, and I, I think that's the best way I can describe it is I'm aware that I'm aware. I'm, I'm curious then. I mean, basically you had the sort of the physical challenge, if you like the, the body, the body's put under stress through the tumor and, and that's a life-defining moment, a changing moment. It's it's a stop. Then you have the mental challenge that precedes it, that says recession. You know, this mentally it's broken you down, you know, sort of all the usual sort of fear, guilt, shame, as you mentioned. You know, there's so much there. I mean, do you think it's do you think these things are maybe sent to challenge you? Do you think that's that's almost been part of your course that actually you had to go through that? <laughs> yeah, I think so. Um, I think that I think you can pretty much handle anything that that gets put in front of you. You don't know it at the time because it just depends on where you're at in your journey. But yeah, I think there's a lot of things that were put in front of me to challenge me the same way. I think there was a lot of people that were put in my life to nudge me in the right direction or maybe to help pivot me away from 
you know, a direction that might not have served me in, in my life. So I don't, you know, I don't really, I don't really know how I feel about fate or everything being preordained or anything like that. I just, I think now more than ever, I, I really feel like, you know, I surrender to life as it unfolds for me. And instead of just fighting it and, and breaking everything up into like and dislike and, you know, making up narrating stories in my head about perceived wrongs or whatever it is, it's just, I accept the moment. And I surrender to life as it unfolds for me. And although I am going to have goals, I'm going to work towards those goals. I'm, I'm, I'm not so specific in them that they have to work out in such a specific way um, to make me okay. And what I mean by that is, you know, I might set off on a path to achieve a goal, but in the process of, of hunting that goal down, I'm, I'm really open to all possibilities of good. So as the challenges come in and and they derail me from that specific goal that I set out to achieve, I'm very open to that path changing so that I can be open to any possibility of good that comes from my my movement or or my momentum towards that goal. If if you're testing a goal or you you're getting this feedback, I mean, do you have a process or I mean is is there a, is it down to gut feeling or how how you then respond to that change? I mean, is it a case of just let it unfold or you know do you listen to yourself or take time out and say listen let's just think this through before anything else happened do you have a process um you know i try and just keep the momentum and keep the movement we talked about this a little bit earlier and and of course i run it through a process what am i doing why am i doing it what's in it for for them or or me right but after that, it's really about momentum. We talk a lot about consistency in our business. It's just, I mean, it's it's one of the daggers for most people that they don't understand that a lot of their inability to move their business forward is just simply inconsistency. It's such a simple thing, yet so incredibly powerful to show up for yourself and your business and your family and your goals and do it with great consistency. And the crazy thing about consistency is I'm not I'm not speaking in terms of hustle porn where we, you know, go on and on about working 24 seven and grit and grind and all that stuff. I'm simply this. What if you what if you treated your entrepreneurial journey the same way as you did a corporate job? What if you showed up for yourself from 830 to 530 Monday through Friday? People don't realize that if you do that, if you create that level of consistency in your entrepreneurial journey, that it is powerful. Imagine eight hours a day, five days a week dedicated to the pursuit of your own goals, really, truly dedicated to the pursuit of your own goals, not socializing or, or you know, just taking time off or watching Netflix in the beginning of the day, but really getting clear on what you're doing and why you're doing it and what's in it for you and your family. Um, so for me, it's it's maybe a stubbornness, but it's really about consistently learning consistently growing consistently staying in the movement of life because i mean you talk i mean you have this and it talks about this proprietary eight-phase system you know talks about sort of helping business owners to, to focus on consistency and results can you can you elaborate a little on that well consistency i i think is back to a spiritual conversation right it's what's blocking you from being consistent like what is it inside of you that is keeping you from bringing the level of intention to your life and business that creates consistency. And, you know, are you willing to go in there and get raw and real with yourself about what that is? And then when you find out what it is, whether it's 
fear or, or reluctancy or a lack of confidence, are you just going to suppress that? Are you going to ignore that? Or are you going to remain open and go, okay, you know, here it is. Here's the uncomfortable feeling that's keeping me from being consistent. It's keeping me from taking the action that I know I have to take to make changes in my life. Okay. Our natural response is that that feeling's uncomfortable. Let's go ahead and bury that back down. So we don't have to deal with that. And then, you know, let's go on, carry on about our normal habits and rituals that we do in daily life now that have brought us the results that we have in our life now. Um, but the real issue is getting in there and saying, all right, I identify a very uncomfortable emotion or, or, you know, something inside of me, and I'm going to have to probably deal with that. I'm going to have to release this. I'm going to have to get, you know, open and vulnerable about what it is, where it came from. I'm going to have to do the inner work to get it out of me, um, so that I can remove this obstacle from my life and business. And, you know, just to specify, a lot of the things that are holding us back in business are not business related. They're personal. They're our inability to take on the challenges and the discomforts of, of actually growing the business. More often than not, like in our, in our industry in real estate, what causes people to be so fearful, what causes people to fail is their inability to be vulnerable, to put themselves out there, to articulate their value, knowing wholeheartedly that they can be rejected. Well, more specifically, knowing wholeheartedly that they will be rejected way more often than they'll, than they'll be accepted, right? That's just sales. That's like, welcome to sales, right? It's a, you know, you hear all the mumbo jumbo sales is a numbers game, right? You just got to do it. You got to make a hundred contacts, blah, blah, blah. Like, yeah. But in that process, there's an incredible amount of rejection. And what rejection is to most of us is a trigger. It's triggering a deeper emotional scar that we just haven't dealt with yet. And it sounds crazy to like to some people to talk like this, but the reality of it is, is somebody telling you, no, they don't want your services should not send you into an ice cream, a bucket of ice cream and 12 hours of Netflix. It just shouldn't, but it does for some people. And that's okay. That, that doesn't mean there's anything wrong with you, right? It, it, as a matter of fact, it's quite normal to experience that. But instead of unconsciously flowing to the bucket of ice cream and the 12 hours of Netflix, sit for a moment and say, why? Where did that come from? What did that rejection trigger inside of me? Because if I could solve that puzzle, if I could get that right, then I'm going to open myself up to everything that I said that I wanted from this business. I'm going to open myself up to all the success that I could possibly want because I know how important this specific task is to the growth of my business. That's huge, right? I mean, but that in itself, as you say, it, it's it's a perfect explanation. And you know, if if you fully believe and passionately believe in what you're doing, you know, and the and the reason why, as you say, it's not a case of going, they turn me down. It's kind of going, yeah, it's okay, move on. <laughs> so, I know somebody wants it, so I just I just need to get there quicker. I just need to find the person that actually wants it. So we'll go through a number yeah. of no's to get my yes, right? Yeah, and that's that's the because a lot of what's coming out from me here is is the difference between the sort of the push factor and the pull factor. You know, when you're when you're young and egoic and all the rest, it's kind of yeah, let's you know, let's crunch the hours. And I got up at one a.m. and blah blah blah, and you know, I'm doing forty four hour days and all this great stuff and brilliant. And I listen when you have the strength and energy, and <laughs> I did a 
fair portion of that myself. But there does come a time when you've got to tap something else because physically you can't do it or family or whatever else comes along. You've got to change gear. You've got to change your perception, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think if you're grit and grinding through that and, you know, I, I think for a lot of us, we've been there, you know, I've, I've done the, I've done the 14 hour, 16 hour days for months on end. And, you know, my wife reminded me that we haven't actually had a day off. I mean, I've done all of that. Um, I don't think that I need needed to, when I look back on it, but nonetheless, I've done it. And what it does is it just leads to an extremely unhealthy lifestyle. And ultimately it leans, leads to burnout. And it could be burnout in the in the sense of you just quitting altogether and no longer pursuing this dream, or it learn leads to a deeper burnout of who you are and what you value and what your personality is. Bur- you know, it burns out your friendships, it burns out your relationships, and it overtakes everything that you are in your life. And then all of a sudden, that's it. All you are is this this misery that performs this job task. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think that we've all kind of experienced that to some degree. I've never really subscribed wholeheartedly to the idea that you got to find a job that you're passionate about, Um, you know, because I don't know how realistic that is in today's world. And if we subscribe to that and that's it, then we're constantly in pursuit of a job that we feel passionate about. But in the reality of it is, we might be actually avoiding work. We might just be avoiding discomfort and telling ourselves, well, what I really want to do is never be uncomfortable and never really have to work. And then I'll be passionate. And I'm a big believer in that you bring passion to your work. You bring your own passion to your work, knowing why you're here. Why are you doing this work? What are your intentions around this work? Sure. Maybe this work isn't your life's journey, but maybe this work creates a specific role or specific outcome or a specific amount of income that enables you to then impact what you're passionate about. Maybe this job is just a stepping stone and you're going to bring everything you got to this job because you're going to use it to step on to another opportunity. Whatever it is, I'm just I'm a big believer in that you find that passion inside of yourself. You find that clarity inside of yourself about what your intentions are. And then you bring that to the work that you do. And then that work is a tool to create income, experience, relationships. And then that income, that experience, that relationship, then that becomes three more tools that you use to fuel whatever it is next in your in your journey that, that you really want to be passionate about. So I'm a big believer in that. And then I'll say this. I think this applies to pretty much every single person that I've talked to in my industry, but I think you got to get real authentic. And what I mean by that is on this journey, especially if you're an entrepreneur, you're, you're going to do two things to almost everybody you come in contact with. You're going to either repel or attract them. And I think that you just got to be wholeheartedly okay with that, right? Because you can't please everybody. You can't build a business on, you know, Every single person is your customer, right? There's so many books about this, like niche books or one thing books or whatever. Get it. Like it's all there. But the reality of it is, is if you're going to build a business in real estate, we talk about this a lot is it's always best to be your most authentic self, to operate from the place inside of you that feels the most authentic to you. And then do that consistently and also be okay when you're rejected for that. 
because in doing so, you give yourself the absolute best opportunity to attract like-minded individuals that want to work with you. And in that same process, you are also going to talk to people that will roll their eyes and not want anything to do with you. And that's, that's rejection, right? And that's okay. But if you try and walk that line somewhere, you'll be nothing to the people who reject you and you'll be very little or nothing to the people who should have accepted you because you're not really doing it in a way that feels authentic and right to you. So I, I just have always, not always, I've just really hammered down this idea, especially in our organization, that your best bet is to be your most authentic self. That doesn't mean you, you don't have to do the work. It doesn't mean that you won't fail. It doesn't mean that you won't have to evaluate your fails and evolve and try again. It doesn't even mean you might not fail again after that. It just means that if you're, mo if you're your most authentic self, you're going to have your best shot at surviving that very real gauntlet that we all go through when we're trying to build a business, especially a real estate sales career. How can someone self-test? I mean, you know, if you're saying I'm being my most authentic self, how, how should that feel? That's a great question. I think it's going to feel unique to every individual. Um, but for the sake of trying to intellectualize this a little bit, um, I think some people misinterpret being your most authentic self with never being uncomfortable, right? Like you're going to have to take on the challenges of life and business, and you're going to have to learn and, and you're going to have to gain experience. And the most of our experience comes from failure, right? So we're going to be living in that place a lot. So you want to just bring your most authentic self to that situation instead of trying to be something that you're not and trying to, instead of trying to, you know, play some personality or read some script that's not you or say some line that's just like, I, this isn't the way I want to do business. Like, that's okay. But you, your responsibility is to finding the way that does feel right. And that's likely still going to come with some discomfort and some fear. And you're going to have to bring your best self to that table and do it. So, you know, authenticity is, is really about the person doing the task. It's not a, really about the task itself being one that doesn't make you uncomfortable or doesn't challenge you. Does that answer your question? It's kind of a roundabout way of yeah, trying yeah. to intellectualize that a bit. But as you say, it's interesting. You know, one, one question is popping back up for me again is, I mean, passion or authenticity which is which is more important or is it just different places for different applications yeah i don't know that's that's an interesting question too i know the more authentically aligned i feel um with myself the more passionate i do the job any job that i do right cuz I'm just letting go of suffering. I'm letting go of my fear and anxiety for whatever results I'm trying to create. And I'm just bringing my best self to the table. And that just frees me up to bring all of the passion and energy that I would naturally bring to something that I enjoy doing that doesn't challenge me. So, you know, I, I don't know that there's any right answer to that. I, I think that that might be different for a lot of folks. Because mm. there's a saying, I mean, uh, I mean, listen, it's, it's banded around a lot, you know, the usual sort of fake it till you make it, you know, which is, mm. I don't know, it's contentious and, and a thing, but mm. where, where do you sit with that? Um, 
I remember a young egoic me using that term, feeling pretty darn <laughs> confident about it. Um, but, you know, knowing what I know now and, you know, we we even launched a program um, in our in our business around avoiding this term, fake it till you make it. Um, that wherever you are in your life or your business or your knowledge right now is okay. Like mm. that's where you should be. Because if, if you can be really okay with where you are, then you have a very clear path for where you're going and what you need to do to get there. And a lot of that means, you know, education and engagement in your craft. It, it means, you know, trial and error. And when you're just honest about where you are, you're authentic about where you are in this moment. It's so much easier to move forward through those challenges. When you're faking it, the problem with faking it is you're telling yourself a story, right? That left brain chatter, that ego that we were talking about, that, that ego is telling you a story that you're somewhere that you're actually not. It's very difficult to improve on yourself from that place. Mm. It's much easier and much faster to improve on yourself when you accept where you are and you get down to business about moving you forward instead of lying about it. Motivation, inspiration, transformation, which is the way forward? Well, I think a lot of those come together in one, one awesome package for a lot of folks. Um, you know, I, I think you have to be motivated to change no matter what, right? I mean, there's got to be a part of you deep down. There's like the pilot light that turns into the fire in the belly that has to be lit. So if we call that motivation, you got to light the pilot light. And then you fuel that with motivation and intention. And maybe that turns into the fire in the belly. Do, do you think everyone could have it? You know, I don't, I don't know, Pete. Um, there's times in my life where I've said to myself that, you know, I think that this is just something everybody has and it's their responsibility to tap into it. Um, but there's a very empathetic side of me that looks at the world and sees the circumstances that people are, are faced with every day. And, and um, sometimes I think that maybe they have it, um, but they don't, they don't have access to it, right? They're, they're in such a place where, they just can't see that far ahead in life. And uh, I've, always, I've always grappled with this to a certain degree because I've seen a lot of people come in you know, to our organization. I've coached a lot of people. And I think a lot of people have great intentions, but there's, you know, some people just can't see it. They can't see their, their own level of responsibility to the situation. And I'm not entirely sure why that is. It's interesting. I mean, Taking responsibility, would that be um, almost a core value for you? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think it's important to follow through on things. Um, you know, it, it all just comes back to this conversation about consistency. I was never the smartest or the most charismatic or, you know, any of those things, really. I just, but I, I was so consistent. And I, you know, I showed up for myself and and for the journey every single day. And I learned from my from my experiences. I learned from my failures. Listen, some of those just beat me down, and I wanted to crawl up into a little you know hole for a week or a month and not be seen or, or heard by anyone. But you know, ultimately, I popped my head back out back on the saddle, so to speak. That's a Montana 
guy saying, like, I think that's what you have to say. If you're from Montana, you have to say, I got back on the saddle <laughs> at some point in your life. Um, but yeah, I think it does. It just all comes back to this level of consistency. Like, I just want to try. I just want to keep trying. I want to keep, I want to keep movement in my life and just trust that if I do those things, good things will happen. What do you want to be capable of? You know, I, I want to be capable of an incredible amount of presence with the people in my life. Um, and that takes work for me because, you know, I think just in my own spirituality journey and, and through meditation, I realized how much distraction um, I can bring to my life. But I want to be capable of just utter presence with the people that I love the most. And I want to be able to bring, I want to be capable of bringing my absolute best self to them. Because I know if I do that, whatever else happens is, is good. You know, I'm, I'm bringing the most present and happy and joyful person to the table. And I don't always do that now, but yes, what I hope to be capable of is I hope to be capable of doing that with the same amount of consistency as I've brought to other areas of my life. Is that a, <clears throat> is that a level of success for you or level of enlightenment, do you think, or? No, it's, I think for me, you know, we can call it enlightenment as a, as a spiritual term, but I think what it means for me is, is a lot of deep acceptance of, of myself and, and my journey and, and, you know, understanding that it's, it's not success or money or any real external thing that's going to bring me happiness and joy. I've spent a lot of my life, you know, thinking that I could earn my way to happiness and joy or out earn my stupidity for that matter. Um, but I think we have plenty of examples all over the world that money's not a determiner of happiness at all. I mean, there's even studies on this now that, you know, once you're at a certain income level that brings you a certain, you know, amount over the poverty level, it's, it's very difficult to increase your happiness with additional money. Um, so I don't have any ideas that, that that's going to be the case. Um, what I do think is that it's my job to untether myself, um, from the typical human suffering that we go through our fears and anxieties and, you know, everything that comes along with that. Um, and just realize that happiness and joy is a, is, is not a high state. It's a state of neutrality. Um, you know, and, and that I can bring that to everything that I do. Um, I think that's that's really ultimately what I what I want to be able to do for the people around me. Have you any perception of how close you are to being your true self? Closer than ever, every day. But um, here's the thing about like all of this. It, I, I'm not entirely sure that there's a destination, Pete. Like I, I really don't know that there is. I I, I think that it's a practice. Um, and you know, I've I've heard that you know, in, in different, you know, spirituality forums before. And I think more than ever now, I realize that it, it is a practice and that I don't need there to be a destination or an arrival point to just really live in the practice itself. And that if I continue to do that, wherever I'm going, you know, which is really just untethering myself from all that suffering, I'm good with like every day is, is less suffering than the, than the previous day. And, and that's awesome. And I, you know, I think they talk about that, 
you know, in terms of enlightenment as well, it's just like, you, you don't just reach enlightenment and boom, like you get your medal, you get your award <laughs> and everybody says, okay, this person is now enlightened. And then everybody goes, Oh, a new enlightened figure. That's just, I, it just doesn't work that way. And I think I don't need it to anymore. I always used to think, you know, as a, as a younger man and, and as a, as someone who likes to achieve and go after goals, it was always the destination, right? And then what I realized is throughout my whole journey, all I did was move the goalpost. I'd achieve something and it would just be like, okay, well, I got to do the next thing now because the thing that I achieved that I told myself would make me happy didn't. And I got there and then I was just like, okay, well, I just got to move the goalpost and I just got to keep moving the goalpost forever and ever and ever. And then I realized like, huh, well, that doesn't seem like a, an effective strategy for happiness. So yeah, going, going inward for that. It sounds like sounds almost like a, a different banking experience, you know. As you say, when whenever you're whenever you're push driven, egoically driven, it's like, yeah, you know, I need that number, I need X number of staff, X size, whatever, and then you, you bank that as a, yeah, yeah, look at me, I've done it. When mm-hmm. sort of almost on the sort of the the inwardly looking side, it's I'm wondering, it's like when you achieve that thing, is gratitude, it's saying, wow, that's amazing, and and you know, mm-hmm. it's. It, same outcome, different approach. Is that a is that the right way of looking at it? I'm not sure. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. I mean, my wife always reminds me of this now. It's just like to be mindful of celebrating um, those small moments in life. And I think what happens is we do a lot of comparing our lives to other people. So um, we don't celebrate the things that we do in our life because we've seen somebody else have something more, do something bigger or better or whatever we perceive it to be. And then what we do is we tell ourselves a story about how minuscule or unmeaningful the thing we did is, and then, then we don't celebrate it. Um, And we got to be mindful of that. Like it's, you're living life, right? Like enjoy it and, and celebrate those things. And listen, I'm, I'm, I'll look at myself in the zoom meeting for now. Cause I'm talking to myself as much as I'm preaching to anybody else, because I, I still need to do that. I still need to be reminded of that every single day is not to compare and to make sure that I celebrate, you know, all those things that we set out to achieve and, and recognize those and, and don't move the goalpost every time. Mm-hmm. Who or who or what inspires you? Well, um, I get inspiration from a lot of places. Um, the people in our organization um, inspire me. I, I love to be part of a team. I love to be part of a group. I love to see a collective hive mind grow with enthusiasm and um, and make a positive impact on each other and the people they aim to represent. And all of that's wonderful. Um, nature inspires me. Um, I'm a believe it or not. I'm an introvert. Um, I'm not. I'm not eager to to seek out big social situations. Um, I'm not afraid to be alone. I love to be alone. It's where I completely recharge and nature does that for me. Obviously being a mountain kid from the, uh, from Montana, it's, you know, that's, that was a huge part of my life. So nature inspires me just walking in the woods and silence and just hearing the sounds of the world, you know, without, human interference is, is incredible. Um, it's meditative in its own, its own right to just slow everything down for a moment and 
take a deep breath and realize how incredible this all is. Because it, it is. It's, I mean, we're on a speck of dust, like flying through space at an incredible rate of speed. And it's just awe-inspiring to sit back and just see it for what it is in a moment like that. Um, so nature's, nature's big for me. And then of course I have all kinds of mentors and, and people that I read about and that, that I allow to influence my mind and, and the way that I think and the actions I take in life through books and authors and all of that, like, like many of us do. Mm. Yeah. It's taking that time. I mean, is, I mean, not those areas of recharge for you. Is it the likes of the forest? Is it getting out and you know, being active? Is that a, is that a sort of a recharge place for you? You know, um, I'm, I'm a very active person. I'm an avid backpacker and mountain biker. And, you know, I do the roller and I, you know, now yoga is such a big part of my life because I'm healing injuries, you know, bodily injuries from, you know, 35 or 38 years of of (laughs) sports. So it's just, it's become, uh, it, it went from a necessity to a passion of mine. So I do like all of that stuff, but the reality of it is, is I recharge when I'm all alone silence all by myself. Uh, I just, I don't shy away from that moment. I'm, I'm good with the silence. And, and that's where I just, I, I fully recharge that. And, and that could be in, in the middle of nature, or it could just be, you know, in my house and my son's asleep and my wife's baking in the kitchen and I'm just laying in bed and just breathing or reading. It's like, it's those moments that, I, that, that recharge me the most. So, yeah. That's awesome, isn't it? Just not to be afraid of your own company, you know, and mm-hmm. I often sort of wonder it. It's like, you know, meditation, peaceful, taking moments for yourself. I mean, it's it's a fine line because it's also the same sort of process for the likes of depression or some other mental things where it is isolation. It's to retract to, but yet one's very healthy and very positive and one's, I don't know, is it is it a recharging? Is it a safe space? Uh, I don't know. Just curious, you know, it's same actions, different intentions, if that makes sense. Oh, absolutely. I think, you know, as someone who's dealt with his fair share of depression and anxiety throughout my life, um, yeah, there was a period of my life pre-meditation, pre-accepting my own spiritual journey where a lot of my isolation was clouded with, with you know, a dark cloud of depression. Um and now it's, you know, it's changed because when I'm alone now, um, you know, I love someone once put meditation this way for me. Meditation is not the absence of thought. It's the recognition of thought and letting it go over and over and over again. Um, and that was powerful for me in my meditation practice and a huge contributor of lifting me out of, you know, the, the season of my life where depression and anxiety had a tendency to dominate those more isolated moments in my life. Because now when I'm there, I, I, I just breathe. I know it sounds just completely foreign to some people to go like, just focus on your breath and let go of thought. And they're like, what are you talking about? Like, I can't, like, I can't let go of thought. My mind never shuts up. And it's like, yeah, but you recognize that now sit behind it and let it go. And then the repetitiveness of that practice for me just got me really comfortable being alone because it, it, it gave me the opportunity to, to sit and recognize where my mind was racing and to let that go. And then it would come in, it would race again. 
I recognize it and just let that go. And my own isolation became the way that I could actually refuel myself, check myself where my egoic mind was running my entire life. It gave me those opportunities to stop, let it go, and make sure that I was taking action in my life from the right place. So, so powerful. I mean, and, and do you find that that's, that's a place where you actually get start to take on ideas and, oh yeah, you know, your intuition and, and higher source, whatever yeah. you want to call it? Yeah, it's a really interesting book called No Self, No Problem. It was written by an author. I think his name was uh, Chris. Uh, I'm going to butcher the last name at this point. Needhauser or something like that. Um, and he really talked about, you know, the merging of Western science and Eastern philosophy on this subject of left brain and right brain, left brain being the egoic chatter where that voice is that narrates your life, that narrates the stories of the past and the, the stories of the future. And then the right brain, which is where, you know, that creativity and the more artistic, passionate, emotional sides of us, you know, lied <laughs> for someone like me, lay dormant for many, many years. But yeah, I mean, as, as I'm able to quiet the mind, I'm able to see things not through the lens of emotional fear, frustration, anxiety, all the, not from the, not from that lens, but just from a lens of clarity and calmness and a quiet confidence, which enables, just enables you to see things better. And it enables your creativity, you know, to, to shine through. And that's where you kind of, you know, are making decisions or you're coming up with ideas from that place, from calm, clear, confident, and not from fear, anxiety, frustration, anger, and your, your creativity just has a tendency to blossom in that other space so much. Um, and you're really not going to access it unless you quiet that other part of you. And a lot of people, lot, you know, I was one of those people that said for the longest time, I'm just not a creative person, right? I'm just not a deep thinker. I'm just not a whatever. And what I was really saying, I just didn't know it was, I can't get out of my own way. I can't get out of this voice. It's it's controlling my entire life. It's narrating my life. Everything I do is because it it says it tells me to do it or it tells me to feel this way. So when you mentioned earlier on, you know, it's like, do you find those do you, do you have a little black book or something that you note down ideas? Because when they excuse me, when you when you're working and you, you know, you're really spending that time with people, you know, you almost find it insightful or there you go. <laughs> That's quite a big black book. Yeah, it has to be. <laughs> Remember earlier when I told you I like the vision cast? I got a lot of ideas, man. Um, yeah, yeah, I, I do. And I have to write them down. Um, you know, I kind of have to purge those um, to get them out of the way so that I can clear that space in there. And I have, a, I have a tendency to realize that the great ideas that I think that I have, once I kind of purge them out, I realize whether they're actually good or not. <laughs> so, you know, because, um, but yeah, you have to get them out, right? Like, you have to actively participate in those parts of your life of cultivating that creativity, giving it space, um, playing with it a little bit, getting it out on paper, putting it into a system or a process doc or something like that, testing it, seeing if it's, uh, you know, how does this hold up against, you know, the realities of life or business and what dominoes are going to fall if I make this decision? It's fun. I mean, that's the creative part of business, right? It's not very artistic, but when you create that space to jump in there, that's that's where you find all of these incredible people all over the world coming up with new things all the time. That's because they're giving them the, themselves the space 
to vet those ideas out. And, you know, I think we can all do that. We don't have to have world changing ideas to improve our lives. Like, you know, even little ideas at, at home, in your business, with your spouse, with your relationships, like you have incredible opportunities to improve lots of areas in your life by doing that. That's the thing, right? Because it's, it's giving yourself that opportunity. That's huge. You know, not everyone's going to get that point, but it's giving yourself permission, taking the time, you know, as you say, getting the ideas out of your head. And if they come back or if they persist, then, you know, maybe sort of that purging process, you know, because I don't know that many do that, right? I don't think so. Um, you know what it started out for me was, so I'd have these great ideas and I'm, I'm, I can't imagine I'm alone in this. The, the more I share my own perceived inadequacies, the more I realize how normal they actually are. <laughs> but um, what would happen to me is I would have a good thought or a good idea. And if I didn't write it down, I'd spend the rest of the night suffering, causing myself suffering, saying, you're going to forget. You're going to forget this. You're going to, you know, and then I'm just suffering. I'm like, well, I could just write this down. And then I could almost tell my brain it's done. I wrote it down. Like, we're not going to forget because I wrote it down. Right. So, I mean, it's a simple, simple thing, but it's, it was really powerful for me. It's just like, well, I'm just going to take time, write it down. And I'm not going to suffer about this for the rest of the night. That's, you know, it's huge. I mean, give us, give us a bit of a glimpse. I mean, are you, are you sort of Straight lines, nice neat points. Are you crazy? Because I mean, you talk about vision casting. I'm, I'm imagining big squiggly lines and cloud diagrams and all sorts of crazy <laughs> stuff. Or <laughs> where do you sit in the uh, sort of how tight is your handwriting? Is my real question, I suppose. Oh well, my handwriting is not that great, but <laughs> you know, um, I you, so I run a real estate team, right? And you know, running a real estate team is not, it's not a massive organization. Um, it's at best, it's a medium size, you know, business. And for the most part, it's pretty straightforward. Um, so when it comes to systems and leverage and having an impact on the people that are working for you, um, what I find is the simplest approach is, is most, is the most effective. Our industry does a terrible job. It's very exploitive in the way that it's constantly um, giving agents or people new things to focus on every single week. And what what's happening there is we're so insecure about the value that we're bringing these independent contract workers that we we just throw value, perceived value at them left and right, left and right. So it, it's perceived that we're giving value. So... The approach that I take is, you know, we certainly try some things and we certainly push, uh, push the envelope and we certainly fail at times. But ultimately, what we're trying to do with the business is impact our agents directly in the way that they acquire new clients and the way that they serve those clients. And that's a pretty simple process. So vision casting there is not a huge thing, right? It's not that big board with all the yarn and the, you know, all the whole FBI profile, you know, deal. It's, it's more or less just, you know, how can we become more effective? How can we become more efficient? How can we come more, become more authentic in our approach to impacting these very important items in our business? Um, so that's, that's a little different. Now we come back out to our authentic agent program and even our, you know, ideas of, of expanding our business nationally at some point, that's where the bigger pieces get to come in. That's where I get to really flow through some big ideas and, um, you know, learn from people who have come before me and, and test out systems and, and models, um, that other people have used. 
and, you know, really get creative about like, well, if we put our own spin on this, um, what would it look like? Right. And so I, I get to spend, you know, a great deal more creativity there than I do um, in the agent piece, just because if I bring too much creativity to that, all I do is create a lot of distractions and that has the opposite effect that I want it to have on our people. Mm. You know, there's so, there's so much there, I think in terms of, as you say, it's that purging process, but also be mindful because you can overload, you can over, over incentivize. You can, it's just distracting. It's kind of going, how about doing three things really well, as opposed to 33 things and kind of have to summon you know you just disappoint and know yourself really isn't it it's it's, it's proportionate yeah. yeah yeah and we're lucky we have some wonderful people on our team that will tell us if we're messing up right they'll tell us if we're like hey we're we're throwing a lot of ideas out there we're not exactly bringing a lot of these over the finish line and um you know we usually keep it pretty tight um certainly tighter than the industry standard does with those things but you know, we also want to create some transparency and and really challenge our organization to think through ideas of growth. And some of them don't work out. Um, and that can be frustrating for some. And in an organization, if even if everything else is going well, but you're not following, you're, you're not winning, you're not following through on on, you know, all these ideas because you got too many of them. It can it can create some frustration and, and it can impact your your culture and your community of your team because they're like, well, we got a lot of ideas, but, you know, that is that all we have? <laughs> So we we're lucky. We we have some people that will will remind us like, hey, we we might be we might be bringing a little too much to the table here. Let's remember what got us here in the first place. Yeah, keep it simple. Keep it simple. Yeah. Yeah. What's what's your non-negotiables, Brandon? Um, has changed a lot over the years. Um, thinking about what they are today, I want to feel good about what I'm doing. Um, it doesn't mean that it has to be comfortable but I want to feel good about it and bringing it back to what are we doing? Why are we doing it? And what's in it for me or the people that it's meant to influence. Um, that's a non-negotiable for me. I, I want to know that the effort that we're going to bring the money that we're going to spend, the emotional energy that we're going to tax in the process of doing anything that we decide to do. Um, that we feel really good about what it's going to ultimately produce for us, either if if it's personal um, or if it's professional, I I, I just want to feel good about it. I've I've done a, I've spent a lot of time over the years where I wasn't entirely sure why I was doing stuff. I was just doing it because I thought it was supposed to. Uh, I was doing it because this other guy over here that has a real successful business. Well, that's what he's doing. Um, I'm just I, I can't I can't have that anymore. I wasted a lot of time energy money, resources, and relationships, you know, playing that game in the earlier parts of my career. And it's non-negotiable at this point. Mm. Do you, are you clear and do you believe you have an overall purpose or calling? Are you, are you clear in what that is? No, I'm not clear. Yes, I do believe that I do. Um, but I, I I think I'm still working that out myself. Um, I know that, you know, I've, I've got a great deal of passion for what I do and, and I love, you know, the platform that we have to impact people. And, and that's great. And I don't necessarily think that I have some grand calling um, that's going to change the world, 
but I know that I feel that there's something there. But here's the thing. When, when we talk about these kind of callings and stuff, we have a tendency to go, well, if it's not at scale, does it really matter? Right? If I'm not impacting thousands or millions of people, is it really a calling? Um, yeah. I mean, hell yeah, it is. I, you know, not to get too wild on you, but like I recently went through a past life regression as just part of my spiritual practice and just generally being curious about, you know, the things that hold me back and and my perceived inadequacies. And I came out of that, you know, spare you the, the details, but I came out of that realizing what an incredible honor it is to raise my son. Like, not just, oh, I'm a dad and I love my son, but like, what an incredible honor it is. What an incredible honor life is. Like, regardless of where you are, you are at and, it, and how you evaluate life, um, it's a gift, man. Like, it's an incredible gift. It doesn't always feel that way because we get caught up in the day-to-day and the emotions and the frustrations and keeping up with, you know, life. And, and we can forget for a moment just how incredibly freaking special this entire thing is. Like, it's nuts. If you really just sit and think about it, it's, it's absolutely incredible. Um, so I think that there's, you know, I, I have a calling to just, it's somewhere in there. And that might just be for my immediate family. It might just be for my son. It might be for my business. It might be for something bigger. Quite frankly, I'm open to all possibilities of good. Fair play. I appreciate your honesty and that and authenticity. I mean, that's, I know that's a, a big thing for you. It's, it's, um, have you had many past lives, do you know, out of your interest? Well, I've had one for sure that I know of now. <laughs> um, but I'm, I, I think I've also, um, I think I've also just come to accept that I, I have likely had many. Hmm. Um, man, you would ask me that a year ago and I might have rolled my eyes. I, I, I really might have rolled my eyes. And, and I think my ego would have been putting up a barrier of just like, oh, God, here we go with this nonsense conversation. The more I've gotten into this, these texts all across the world from different regions of the world, the incredible depth and knowledge, whether they're religious texts or, or just, you know, Western science or Eastern philosophy, it doesn't matter. Like this, all this is all coming from somewhere. Right. And when you read about all these, you know, when you read about uh, biographies about successful people, you see, you see all these common denominators in meditation and exercise and sleep. And, you know, there's a spiritual element to what they do. And, and it's just like, okay, I'm tired of sitting on the outside of this conversation. I'm, I'm ready to just, I'm ready to lean in and get some experience here and come to my own conclusions based on that experience. Yeah. I, I know that feeling. I mean, sort of 400 odd interviews later, you know, there's enough people saying, I feel something or a connection or something, or, yeah. you know, I think eventually you got to go. And it's funny, the other day I was just looking and, and sort of saying, we're made up of approximately 7.2 trillion cells. Mm-hmm. And each one of those is carries DNA and capability of either replicating itself or potentially a whole human being. So if nothing else, you think, wow, how awesome am I? right you know so you're kind of going well if all those things happen and i you know sort of people say how's your days it's okay you know it's like i've only produced god knows how many million cells you know it's just like i'm so awesome you know we're all so awesome um it's an appreciation right so 
no it's it's very very powerful place to be so tell me if, if you were to try and describe your fire in the belly in one or two words brandon what would they be i'm curious i'm i'm incredibly curious about life right now i can elaborate <laughs> but i think it would be i'm i'm curious because i mm. i really i mean i i've never been more curious about life I've never been more curious about people or relationships or spirituality or business or, or personal or professional growth. I'm, I'm, in, I'm incredibly curious now, sometimes to the point where it completely overwhelms me. I have stacks of books where I'm just like, okay, I got to get to these. Right. And then I got to remember, like, you don't have to get to anything. You just take it as it comes. Right. And you're not trying to rush through all of this stuff. So my curiosity can can overwhelm me at times, but it's also like I've never felt it before. Never felt it this this powerful at any point in my life. I've never been this curious. Wow. That's yeah. a beautiful place to be, right? Yeah. What is it? It's the childlike wonderment. You know, I think that someone described that to me the other day, and I thought it was a beautiful way of looking at it. Is just be curious, keep doing what children do, you know? Yeah. Well, you know, I told myself for such a long time, Pete, that um, I wasn't a good student because I wasn't. I wasn't a good student in in high school. I struggled. I struggled learning in that way. Um, I struggled through college and and really maybe up until I was about 30 years old when things started to change. And I started to really just develop an insatiable appetite for reading. Um, and then reading turned into an appetite for retention and retention turned into an appetite for putting into practice what I was learning. Um, and then all of a sudden I woke up one day and went like, oh, the story I told myself about not being a good student or not being a good learner, um, was all nonsense. Like it was, it was a, it was a story. It was a narrative that I subscribed to. And once that changed, it just opened me up to, so many more possibilities, so many more experiences. I gained empathy. I gained knowledge of, of people and models and systems. I just realized that there's a whole world out there to learn from. And it was really an, a joyful process to, to jump in there and do it. It's different energy change, right? It's just, it's just different. You're choosing to, you're welcoming the opportunity as opposed to the, ego, the egoic mind says, I know this. What do they know? Mm-hmm. I've, I've done this before. I, you know, what can they teach me? It's, it's, it's yeah. beautiful. Yeah. When I think, you know, I, I, I spent a little bit of time doing this to myself. Well, I don't want to give my opinion on something because I feel like I'm growing so fast. My opinions and views are changing at rates. I'm like, wow, it doesn't mean I'm flip-flopping on, you know, things, but they're growing. I'll hear myself talk from three or four years ago and I'll almost cringe a little bit because, you know, we're our own worst critic, but at the same time, I'm like, Oh no, no, no. I want to elaborate on that. You know? And it's just, but I think you just, by having the conversation, by being open to being wrong and, and knowing wholeheartedly that you can change your opinion with given new information, anytime you want despite what people or you may think you, you can do that. And, and if you're, you know, I, I noticed the more I just have the conversation open and honestly, I do a lot of talking today, but I try to make sure I'm in situations where I listen a lot as well. Um, and if, if my opinion changes, I'm completely open to it changing based on, on new information. And I think if we were all that way, I think we'd find that we'd flow through life and we'd progress through life in a much more joyful and rewarding way. 
as you say that, I think it, it just resonates so strongly with me. You know, it's the, the more I hear, the less I have to say. <laughs> it's like beautiful, right? Just and that's genuinely that's for me. It's like getting to hear people's missions and whys and purposes and values. For me, it's beautiful on the show. It's why not? You know, what a privilege to be able to just share that with the, the outside world. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I used to come on these podcasts. I think it's funny to, to, you know, just recognize and acknowledge this in myself. But when I first started doing things like this or speaking in front of, uh, in front of groups, I had to meditate my way out of a panic attack. Um, Cause I was so fearful of what people might think of me. Um, and, you know, I do stuff like this and I might have like, uh, I might hide notes on the screen, right? Like right in front of me, I put a bunch of notes up there. I can make sure you say this and make sure you say that. And, um, you know, recently in the last year or so, I've really just trusted that, you know, whatever comes out of me will be authentic. It'll be real in the moment. Um, and that I don't have to have that crutch in front of me all the time. And I think it was Eckhart Tolle talks about this a lot too. And he gets up on a talk. He doesn't, he doesn't have anything to say. He just remains open and lets whatever come to him come out. Um, and he said something about it just feels authentic to me. And, and, it, and it puts me in a position where I'm not anxious about what I'm saying. And I thought to myself, yeah, like just get on there and do that. <laughs> that sounds simple, right? Like uh, obviously, you know, that's a, that's surrendering to trusting that what you have to say might have value to some and for others that it doesn't have value. That's okay too. And you're okay with either outcome. Uh, it's huge so to, to go in with no agenda or no intention means that everything just is and that's perfect that's exactly what it's supposed to be it takes yeah it's not it's not natural per se but it is totally natural but it's uh the ego for a lot of people will just be screaming and saying how can you not turn up with notes how can you <laughs> you know you right. must say this you must say that and it's like no actually i don't need to say anything yeah I got that way on my podcast for a little bit, Pete. I was, um, I actually stopped the podcast for a little bit because I didn't feel like I was bringing my most authentic self to the table. We had settled into, um, a system of producing that podcast. And although we were, you know, we were getting great feedback from people that were listening, I just, I, I, I didn't, I wasn't bringing passion and joy to it. And I had too many talking points in front of me and say this and make sure you say this and say it in a specific way and make sure you get this point across. And I was just like, ah, this is not why I, why I started a podcast in the first place. So I had to uh, just stop for a moment. I had to take a break and, and just really get clear on, hey, why are you doing this? You know, and, and what's going to make it fun and joyful for you? What do you want to give to the podcast community? What do you want to give to the listeners? Um, and I'm, I'm excited about coming back into it now. Cause I think I'm going to do it from a, from a much, um, clearer headspace, not to say that it's hasn't been good. It's been really helpful to our team, but you know, I had to, I had to accept that. I had to accept that I wasn't feeling the way I wanted to feel about it. And that, that made me create some changes. That's, I mean, that's, that's you know, the name of your podcast really, you know, it's, it's all about being authentic, you know, and that's right. That's, that's huge. You know, as you say, and fair play to you for, for acknowledging that, recognizing it and saying, listen, there's, there's work to be done here. You know, it takes, that takes strength in itself. Yeah. You know? So, um, so tell us where, where can people follow you? So, I mean, your podcast, the authentic agent podcast, 
Where else can people follow you, track you down, hunt you, stalk you, any of the above? Oh yeah, that sounds that sounds enticing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, for the most part, I'm on Facebook and I'm on Instagram. I don't engage much on Facebook. Um, I on purpose try to stay off a little bit, but Instagram's uh, quite different, and uh, you can find me at Brandon E Tracy on Instagram, Brandon Tracy on Facebook. Um, and yeah, we have our authentic agent podcast. We also have, uh, the authentic agent courses launching at authenticagent.com. Um, so we're really excited about that. It's, you know, it's really geared mostly for, um, you know, agents that really just don't feel like they're at where they want to be, or they haven't found their voice, uh, in the business yet, but they're also open to, they know that they've got some work to do. Um, so what we wanted to do is wanted to create a course that that they could plug into and have it be extremely, extremely affordable um, and have them be kind of introduced to a philosophy um, of doing business in real estate that it, that feels authentic to us and feels like we should share with them. And it could stem from everything from, you know, not just your typical database conversation, but, you know, how do you talk to people in an authentic way when it comes to business? You know, what does it mean to be vulnerable and authentic, but still professional in a conversation or asking somebody, um, you know, that likes you and loves you to have trust and confidence in you as a professional, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, really trying to help people understand that, you know, we're not just salespeople, we're consultants and we have a responsibility to our business and tracking our business and putting systems and processes together that help us magnify the best parts of us and and provide the best value that we can. So we put together an eight-part uh, series that just kind of gives people some insight to the way that we've done it. Um, we're pretty proud of it. The The truth is, you know, we'll, we'll do 500 units this year as a real estate team, we'll sell 500 homes and we'll do that without any, you know, we don't buy leads. We don't do any of that stuff. Everything for us is relationship, nurturing, communicating with the people that matter most to us in our lives and making sure that we take all those people that like and love us and build trust equity in them so that they can have confidence in us as professionals as well, because we owe that to them. And that's just so much easier for business too, isn't it? You know, you better to have 500 authentic, genuine yeah. relationships than 1,000, 2,000 that are semi-warm, some good, some not so good. And it's exhausting, totally yeah. exhausting. It really is. And it's a shame that we've, we've exploited people so much in our industry to believe that they have to buy all these leads and, and they need to have thousands and thousands of people in a database. And, you know, I mean, for those of you who are interested or, or unaware, it's like, just go back and read Dunbar's 150, do some research on, on Dunbar and the power of, you know, a few relationships magnified over time can create incredible, incredible results. So you know, thousands and thousands of people is intimidating. It's intimidating for anybody to think about managing those relationships, but managing a core number of relationships that magnify, you know, three or four X results in your business. Like we don't think of how powerful that can actually be, you know, especially for someone who's selling, you know, just a few homes a year, selling 12 or 18 homes a year, the path to 36 or 50 or hundred or 500 is, is not through buying your way there. It's through building, mm. you know, key relationships, building trust equity in the people that matter most doing, doing it systematically as if you're doing it on purpose because it's your business. Mm. And I, and I don't think we give enough credence to how powerful 
and and how absolutely true that is. The problem is, is we can't really exploit that for huge gain. <laughs> you can't exploit it and sell it for hundreds of thousands of dollars across, you know, lots of platforms. So random question. What age do you feel that you are? What age do you think of yourself as? <laughs> That's funny. I'm 40 today. Um, oh, congratulations. And I, and I see myself in or no, I'm, 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 it's not my birthday, but I'm, oh. 40, I'm 40 years old now. Appreciate that, though. <laughs> um, you know, I look at myself in the mirror and I, and I see myself changing. You know, I, I see my skin changing. I see my hairline changing. Uh, I see my body changing. But the eyes, like what's behind there, there's still a there's still a 25 year old me that's just sitting there, just, you know, right there behind all of it. So. I still feel in my mind like I'm 25. Now my back feels every day a 60-year-old back. <laughs> so, but I'm making changes there to to help. So, yeah. It was amazing. We, it's always funny. We we think of ourselves as a certain age and and that's the that's our point of reference, you know. It's just curious. There you go. Is your final thought you'd like to leave our listeners, yeah. Brandon? Um, you know, I spent a lot of my life thinking that. And a lot of my business thinking that I had to be somebody else um, to succeed in business. And we all have people in our industry or people that we look up to um, and we feel the pull to mimic them. Um, and although we do want to repeat systems and models that have been proven to work, for a lot of us, someone just needs to tell us that we can bring our most authentic self to those systems and models. And through bringing that person and the consistency to those things, you can build a business that feels right to you. And you can do it in a way that it's certainly going to challenge you and you're going to be, dis you're going to be uncomfortable and you're going to have to learn from your experiences and your failures, but you can do it in a way that feels good. Um, and I wish somebody would have told me that 10 or 12 years ago. And I, I wish somebody you know, that had done it especially would have told me that it's, that it's doable because I would have had a hell of a lot more confidence in, in moving down that path. And I would have wasted a lot less time trying to be people or things that I wasn't. Mm -hmm. So I, I think people should just know that you can absolutely bring your, your most authentic self to any system and model, bring your consistency, and you can do it in a way that feels joyful. Beautiful. Beautiful. Brian, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on. Thank you so much. Thank you for sharing and so being so open with us. I, uh, I really appreciate you. Thank you. Likewise, Pete. I had a blast. It's awesome. Till the next time. Well, that was another great episode of Fire in the Belly. You know, this really wouldn't be possible without a great guest taking the time to share their personal journeys. And boy, boy, sometimes it is personal. It's an absolute pleasure to have that and then to hear the journeys that people have been on. We've loads more episodes coming up soon. And it's always a pleasure to have guests on. If you do happen to know anyone with true fire in their belly, please reach out to us so we can share their journey, lessons and successes. So all that's left to say is have a great day, live with fire in your belly and be the mightiest version of you.